Hello, Fellowship. Thank you for participating in the elder nomination process. After a deliberate season of prayer, discussion, and seeking the heart of God, our elders have three new candidates for the office of elder to present to you. Hello, Fellowship. My name is Bill Fries. My wife, Lee, and I have been attending Fellowship for over 15 years. During that time, I've been blessed to be part of small group ministry, such as community group leader, welcome and connection team member, prayer team member, and Discover Fellowship support. Our faith has grown from being members at Fellowship Church, and it's a humbling honor to be nominated as an elder candidate. Hi, Fellowship. My name is Charles Greathouse. My family and I have been attending Fellowship since 2008. My wife, Susan, and I have three children, Jonathan, Zachary, and Charlotte. I'm so grateful for how our body has encouraged, challenged, and led our family to the Word of God over the years. From engaging in and leading community groups to serving in FSM as a cell group leader, I have felt His hand at work in this place and through His people. I am so very humbled and honored to serve you all as an elder candidate at Fellowship. Hi, my name is Nick Rowland and my wife Cassie and I have been a part of Fellowship for 15 years married together and then many more years before that. And Fellowship has been a part of my journey walking with Jesus uh, in so many ways. Going back to middle school and growing up in FSM, I was discipled here and I was taught how to serve here. And as I moved into college and adult years volunteering in the student ministry and, and reaching a point in my adult life, my early adult life, where I became aware of the desperation of my hurts and my hangups and my habits. And at that time, Celebrate Recovery was a crucial place for me to begin the process of healing. And uh, I've been able to serve in student ministry, on the worship team, in the training center, community groups, and preaching. And it's been just a wonderful place for, for my wife and I to grow. We have a 12-year-old daughter uh, who is thriving here, and my wife serves in the, in, has served in many capacities, currently serves on the worship team. One of the things I appreciate most about this church is the fact that the focus is always put on Jesus and not on any one personality or leader. And so we all are broken people who need Jesus and need grace, and yet the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve in a lot of different ways, and that's a really exciting thing to be a part of. Uh, I'm deeply humbled and honored to be considered as an elder candidate. Thank you, Bill, Charles, and Nick for your willingness to participate in the elder nomination process as a candidate for the office of elder. It's a tremendous responsibility to be an elder of Fellowship Bible Church. Your willingness to be a candidate speaks highly of your character, integrity, commitment to Christ, and service to God through fellowship. Now, if you are a member of our church, we have one more request of you. If for some biblical reason, you feel you cannot follow a particular candidate's leadership, please email me, mirapier at fellowshipnwa.org, stating your biblical objection, and please do so no later than Thursday, February the 29th. After receiving your notice, I will call you personally, and we can discuss your objection, which must have merit based on biblical elder qualifications. We require that all elders have 100% affirmation from our body. If you have no objection, we assume that you are affirming the candidates the elders have set forth from the pool of nominees you provide. Please pray for these new candidates as well as our current elders. And finally, we would like to thank Roger Hill, 
and Scott Thompson for their years of faithful service as elders. They have represented our body well and will now become shepherding elders. If you see them, express your gratitude and appreciation for their years of faithful service. Blessings to each of you. Well, good morning, Fellowship family. Would you stand? We have been shown endless grace and mercy through Jesus, given to us through Jesus. Amen. And so let's celebrate the grace and mercy of God together.
Awesome, I love that energy. Y'all can have a seat. My name is Matt Archer, and this is Sydney Hinkles. We work with the family team here at Fellowship, and we are so excited to have you today. If you are new, we would love to meet you, and so please take time to meet us out there in the foyer. Um, if you go to that central booth, there'll be somebody there that would love to talk to you. Also out in the foyer, we have some family devotionals for Lent. I don't know if you guys know, but Lent started last Wednesday. If you saw people with, uh, with the crosses on their heads and stuff. So um, we have some family devotionals that'll walk through the 40 days of Lent with your family with a devotional for each day. And so we're excited to give those away for free out in the foyer. And so those are available this weekend only. So you guys can grab those out in the foyer as well. Hey, we've got... A great day today because it is parent-child dedication day today. And so we are so excited to do this. Sydney's going to kick it off and talk about our three families we have coming up today. Yeah, so we're excited to introduce you to these families. So we're just going to go ahead and get started with the Bunch family. We have Mr. Beckham Lee Bunch. His parents are Derek and Naomi. And he has three older siblings, Nori, Ethan, and Finley. They say that Beckham is the surprise of their lives. He brings us so much joy and laughter. <laughs> he is living evidence that God indeed knows what we need, even when we do not. <laughs> Next, we have Miss Hadley Rose Fowler. Hadley's parents are Chris and Jessica, and she has a big brother, Hudson. Oh my gosh. Hadley brings so much light into her family, and she loves with her whole heart. She loves to dance, sing, be outside, and be silly with her big brother. Next, we have the Guatney family. First, we have Mr. Barrett Daniel Guatney. His mom is Leanne, and he has a brother, Braylon. Mom says that Bear is her first love, the sweetest boy, full of kindness, and he brings so much joy and many laughs to everyone around him. He is multi-talented to the point where she hasn't found something he can't do, except maybe listen sometimes. <laughs> Barrett is very special, and she believes the Lord has a great journey prepared for him, and she is dedicating him today because she wants to show him that Jesus is the way and all other ground is sinking sand. Next, we have Mr. Braylon James Guatney. Hi, Braylon. Mom says that Braylon... She thinks of him as being very determined and boisterous and brave, and he loves so loudly that it can be heard and felt from anyone around. His heart loves so big that it has to be shown with very big hugs and kisses. He is such a sweet boy and needs the guidance and protection of the Lord to wield his gifts for the fruit of the Spirit. So fun. I feel very underdressed, guys. <laughs> oh my God, this is amazing. Um, Parents, we are so excited to enter into this with y'all, and I have a charge. I would like to ask you a few questions, and at the end, if so, say we will, all right? So, will you commit to pray for your children all the days of their life? Will you model a godly lifestyle for them? Will you live a life focused on God and his word, and will you train your children up in the way that they should go? If so, say I will. Great. And church, you are partnering with these families in raising these kids, and we are excited to do that. Kids are, are a gift of hope for a church because we get to see what God has planned for them in the future, in this church and in the world. And so we're excited. And so congregation, I have a charge for you. And at the end, if so, say we will. 
Will you commit to praying for these and all the children here at Fellowship? Will you take the opportunity to encourage, serve, and invest in these children, these families, and all of our children here at Fellowship? If so, say we will. Great. Well, hey, there is a, uh, I'm going to finish with something a bit different today. So there is a passage in the book of Numbers. This is all y'all's favorite book, right? Everybody loves the book of Numbers. Um, but God is, telling, God is telling Aaron and the priest how, they're, how they are to the bless the children of Israel. And so the, it says this, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And so in this way, they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. And so we want to speak a blessing over these kids. And so if you would raise your hand up towards these kids, if everybody's doing it, it's, it's cool. That I rem- if, if I learned anything from middle school, that's it right there. So if everybody's doing it, it's cool. And parents, if you place your hands on your kids and repeat after me, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Father, we pray for each of these kids. We ask that you would go before them. I pray for each of these parents, Lord. I pray that you would work mightily in their lives, Lord. Father, I pray that they would have a deep and abiding relationship with you and they would parent out of that deep and abiding, abiding relationship. Lord, I pray that you would raise these kids up into men and women who love you with all of their hearts, all their minds, all their souls, and all their strengths, Lord. Father, we thank you. Spirit, I pray that you would remind us daily to be lifting up these kids, to, uh, to be, come alongside these families and care for them and love them so that these kids would know who you are and that you love them so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. Fellowship, this is the future of our church. Awesome. Hey, as these, as these families are heading back down, we are, uh, if you guys could pull out your phones and take a picture of these names up here and commit to be praying for them. You guys did so good. You did so good. <laughs> you want to stay up here? I love it. All right, if you guys could pull out your phones and take a picture of these families, um, and we would love for you to continue to pray for them. Hey, let's, let's uh, spend some time in worship.
light within our midst Isn't good that we remind ourselves of this Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The line of truth Conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy?
let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us a Messiah, a line from the tribe of Judah. Lord, thank you for giving us a lamb better than any bull or goat, perfect, spotless lamb whose name was Jesus, who did better than just atone, who did better than just cover up. He took away the sin of the world. No repeat needed. And we say, wow, and we say thank you for that. What love and grace and mercy you have shown us. Oh, we love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Today I'm going to walk you through one of the most epic and important Bible passages in all of the scriptures. This is a Bible passage that you might even call a don't look down passage. Have you ever been watching a movie? Maybe it's one of your favorite movies. Maybe it's a movie you've seen multiple times, but you're watching it with a friend or a family member who's never seen it. And you're coming to one of those scenes that's a moment that is pivotal. It's essential for you to understand the future of the plot. And you look over and your friend, let's call them Amy, is just random name out of the air is looking down at her phone. And you're like, hey, did, did you see that? Do you want me to rewind that? Because if you don't see this, then you won't fully understand later. Well, today is one of those passages. It's an, an anchor point for us. It's a don't look down. It's an essential. It's a, a foundational part of the biblical narrative. And it's really important for you to understand the story of Christ. And not only is this passage we're going to look at today important theologically, it's my hope that it will be important for you devotionally as well. We are in week four of an eight-week series entitled The Rise and Fall of David. In this study, we are surveying key moments in the life of the second king of Israel King David, and thus far in the series, we've seen his calling where David, even as a young boy, was anointed by the prophet Samuel to succeed King Saul. And then we saw David's defining moment where he slayed Goliath the giant. And last week, we saw David express extreme humility. He expressed patience, even reverence as he awaited his moment to ascend the throne. Well, eventually, David, as previously directed by the Lord through Samuel, and as patiently he waited for the passing of King Saul, eventually, when he was 30 years old, he was anointed king. And really, this came in two movements, and you find them in 2 Samuel chapters 2 and 5. In chapter 2, David is anointed as king of the tribe of Judah. And then just over seven years later, he is anointed as king over all of Israel when he made a covenant with the elders at Mount Hebron. 
So at age 30, David began to rule over the nation of Israel where he would reign for 40 years until his death at age 70. Let's pick up the story. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. We find David ruling from his palace in Jerusalem. After the king was settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, this is Nathan's first appearance in the scriptures. Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. So after David was crowned king over all of Israel, he brought the ark of God up to Jerusalem and took up residence in his newly furnished palace. Just a reminder, the ark of God is this ornate chest that symbolized the power of God, the holiness of God. In the chest, it contained articles, iconic pieces from Israel's history, like the Ten Commandment tablets and some manna and other things. It was kept in the Holy of Holies within the tabernacle of the Lord. And the ark served as the place of God's presence. So at this point, both the ark and the king are in Jerusalem. And the nation is at rest from all its enemies. And for the first time in a long time, King David himself is at peace. And you know what happens when you're at peace. You have time to look up. You have time to look around you. And for the first time in a long time, David had time to think outside of himself and his own personal issues. And as he settled in, King David noticed something that seemed out of balance to him. He said, here I am in this shiny new palace while the ark of God remains in a temporary dwelling. At this time, there was no temple in Israel. And the ark of God, the very representation of God's power and God's presence was housed in the tabernacle or in a, a tent. And David was questioning the appropriateness of this set up. Why should he, God's representative, be living in splendor while the ark of God, the representation of his presence, had no dwelling place? And in that moment, David had an idea. He had a vision, a dream, that he would build a dwelling place for the presence of God. He would build a house for God to dwell in. Now, we assume here that he envisions what? The temple. But if you read the text, it never uses that word in the passage. Now, David shared this thought with Nathan, the prophet of the Lord. And Nathan liked David's thinking. And without consulting the Lord, he encouraged the king to take action and implement his vision. He said, go ahead with what you have in mind. But unfortunately, Nathan's earthly advice did not line up with the will of God. Look at verse 4. But that night, a word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. 
I've been moving from place to place with the Israelites, that, that with the tents as my dwelling. When, wherever have I, I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to their rulers, whom I have commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So the word of the Lord came to the prophet Nathan, and surprisingly, it was not in alignment with what David had dreamed and Nathan had so quickly encouraged. It was not the Lord's will for David to build him a temple. And while the plan and the sentiment seemed to be right, it was not from the Lord. At this point in the story, when Nathan speaks here, he was officially speaking the word of the Lord. He's no longer offering his personal opinion or advice. When he said, this is what the Lord says, he was acting as the prophet, as the very mouthpiece of God. And the message from God through Nathan was blunt. The Lord said, are you the one to build me a house? Do I need a house to dwell in? Did I ask you to build me a house? Have I ever asked anyone to build me a house? Now, to David's credit, he was on the right track here. There actually would be a future temple in Jerusalem. The foundations of that temple still are there today. And you can see how Nathan the prophet eagerly and presumptuously affirmed this idea. But it wasn't the right time. And the Lord had not called David to do it. And in fact, David would not ever be the one to build it. Good idea, rightly motivated, but the Lord said no. And sometimes that happens. The Lord says no. Have you ever had an idea, a vision, a dream, and you had no doubt in your mind that this was the Lord's will? In your heart, it was perfect. It made sense you had no hesitation. In fact, you had others affirm it, even encourage it. But God had other plans. You had big dreams, but God said no. And unfortunately, sometimes we don't hear this from God until we're already too far down the road and we've already taken action on our man-sized dreams and plans. We've, we've got to be careful that we don't mistake our hopes and our dreams for his will. How easily can our intuitions, our instincts mislead us? And sometimes we mistake our own excitement, even the enthusiasm of others for his leading. And we convince ourselves that he is speaking when he is not. I would even go as far as to say sometimes the Lord's will is the exact opposite of our well-intentioned dreams. Isaiah 55 verse eight says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. A few years ago, some of you may have been around for this, long before we built our Fayetteville campus or our Bentonville campus, we actually were meeting as Fellowship Northwest Arkansas. Do you remember those days? 
From Farmington to Anderson, Missouri, people were piling onto this campus. It was nuts. People were getting in fistfights over parking spots and seats in the auditorium. And it really came to a head on Easter. And we had to make these grand plans and have 13 services all over the campus for Easter. And I had this idea. You could even call it a vision. Easter at the AMP. Does that sound awesome or what? Wouldn't that have been awesome? So I went and got a bid. How much did it cost to rent out the AMP and security and parking and audio and video? And I tallied it all up and it was big. And I sent it to the elders. Easter at the AMP. And they said no. Now, I don't know if you remember, but a few Easter's ago, we had a hundred-year flood on Easter. Does anybody remember that? It was so bad on the Fellowship campus that that week, our residents were kayaking in the West Field out here. And I remember on that Easter, we had trouble just getting people into the building and out, and people in their Easter dresses and their suits were just... Trenched, and as you walked across the parking lot, you walked in like six inches of water. It was miserable. But can you imagine what it would have been like at the amp <laughs> when you had to park at Bonefish and walk? Sometimes the Lord says no, and it's a good thing. So the Lord's answer to David's plan was no, but he followed it up with a promise. Look at verse He shifts gears and begins to talk about what his will is for David's life. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you as ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place or a land for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord began by reminding David of his faithfulness in David's past. From the pastures of Bethlehem to the palace in Jerusalem. From the time that the prophet Samuel anointed David as future king, just as a boy, throughout all of the battles he led and endured, the Lord had guided him and protected him. And then in the second part of this passage, he shifts and describes the future of the nation of Israel. He speaks of making David's name great. And then he will provide them a land, a place. And he will provide them with protection from their enemies. Name great, land, nation, protection from enemies. Does that sound familiar to any of you Bible scholars? Now, I am certain as King David heard this promise, he recognized some of the themes in it. And maybe you do as well. 
Because this promise is echoing a previous promise that was made in another epic Bible passage, Genesis chapter 12, the promise given to Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. Let me read it and see if you find it similar. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Name, land, nation, protection, blessing. The passage we're reading today, 2 Samuel chapter 7, is an extension of this passage. It's an extension of this promise, this covenant given to Abraham. Together, these two passages are a don't look down moment. They're essential to the understanding of the Lord's redemptive plan for planet Earth. And in these passages, he's revealing how he will bless the whole world through his chosen people. Back, back to the passage. And I want you to look at the second part of the promise. And this is where it gets interesting. This is where the hairs on your neck should stand up theologically. The Lord is going to reveal a purpose that extends beyond David. Let's pick it up in the second part of verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and when you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, this is a major reversal. David offered to build a house for the Lord, but the Lord ends up promising a house for David. And this is not a promise of a physical house. David already has that. See verse 1. It's a promise of a family line. A royal dynasty from David will come a kingly line of successors that will rule on the throne for how long? Oh, he's promising a different kind of king, one who will rule forever. From David will come the eternal king. Now, verses 12 to 16 get a little fuzzy. And that's often the nature of Old Testament prophecy because they flip back and forth between both near and far fulfillments. And in this scripture, it's referring to fulfillments in David's lifetime through his son, Solomon. And then beyond David's lifetime, speaking of the coming Messiah, Jesus. And this is the nature of Old Testament prophecy. It speaks of both immediate and distant fulfillments all at the same time. In the first part of verse 13, it speaks of Solomon. 
and the eventual building of the house for the Lord, the temple. In a surprising twist, after the Lord has told David that he did not need a house, did not ask for a house, and that David would not build him a house, the Lord reveals that David's offspring, his son, would build the temple, and that happened. Solomon built the first temple of the Lord. But then in verse 13, it goes beyond David's immediate offspring and speaks of an eternal king whose throne will be established forever. The earthly king, David's immediate son Solomon, will do wrong and will be punished, just like the two kings before him, Saul and David. Both experience both the favor and the discipline of the Lord. But look at the last line, verse 16. There is a promise that this kingship will know no end. There is a perfect king to come, a son of David who will rule and reign for all eternity. So did you catch it? It's a don't look down moment. 2 Samuel 7 promises that from David's line will come a king who will rule and reign forever. A son of David will assume the throne and reign for all eternity. This is a promise about Jesus. And that's why this is one of the most important passages in all the Bible. And that's why David is such a key figure in the scriptures. These words give us the promise of the coming Christ, the Messiah, the King of Kings. And they were spoken to David a thousand years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi and Daniel and Micah, they rooted their message of hope for the nation of Israel in these words. This passage has epic weight and depth. It's a promise for the ages, an anchor of hope for sinners in need of a savior like you and like me. In his commentary on the book of First and Second Samuel, John Woodhouse said this, the words of Second Samuel chapter seven have shaped the history of the world and all eternity. Bible commentator Robert Gordon said, 2 Samuel is rightly regarded as an ideological summit. For him, this is the peak of Old Testament history, not only in Deuteronomistic history, but also in the Old Testament as a whole. I can barely say Deuteronomistic, much less know what it means, but I think what Dr. Gordon is saying is that this is really, really important. Don't look down and miss it. And you know, these guys are absolutely right. In fact, from this point on in the scriptures, they are going to point to and support the idea that Jesus is the fulfillment of this covenant and this promise, that he is the promised son of David who will rule and reign forever. And it is all over your Bible. You don't believe me, do you? All right, all right, all right. Open your Bibles to the New Testament. So what's the first book of the New Testament? Anybody got it? Matthew. What's the first verse of the New Testament? Matthew chapter one, verse one. Are y'all ready? This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of who? 
the son of Abraham. Those two huge essential covenants in the Old Testament find their fulfillment in Jesus. And it's also indicating to you as the reader that the New Testament is going to prove and support the idea that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise to David. Okay, okay. Let's go to the end of the New Testament. So Revelation has 22 chapters. And it's not the last verse of Revelation 22, but some of the last verses. And it's Jesus speaking. This is red letter stuff. He says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each poor person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and skip down to verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of who? David, Mike drop. Within the last few verses of the Bible, Jesus identifies himself again as the fulfillment of 2 Samuel chapter 7. The New Testament is book-ended with it from first verse to last verses. It starts and ends with this concept of Jesus being the promised son of David. Well, what about the two most important events that we celebrate as the New Testament church, Christmas and Easter? Every year at Christmas, we read this prophecy. It's found in Isaiah chapter nine. It says this, for to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. For how long? Forever. The angel spoke to Mary in the Christmas story. The angel said to Mary, Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of who? I thought his father was Joseph. Jesus is one of those successors from the tribe of Judah in the line of David. And he is the eternal king. Well, surely not Easter. Surely not Easter. Well, let's go. This is Palm Sunday. Um, we're in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus is riding in to the city of Jerusalem on a, a donkey, a colt. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. They're rolling out the red carpet because a king is coming to town. The crowds went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They recognized him as the fulfillment of the one promised, the king to come. So what do we do with all of this? Is, is today like a training center class and we've looked at a lot of scriptures and we've gotten some theological accuracy or should it move from here to here and become devotional? For me, I think this is one of those passages that raises our eyes to heaven. 
It should give you a bigger view of who you are in light of what he is doing in this world. It's a reminder that we are a part of a greater story and what a privilege and an honor it is to know the king. So what should our response be to him? Well, I would suggest to you that King Jesus, son of David, is worthy of our allegiance. That he is the only one that we would bow a knee to. That he is the one who is worthy of our worship and our obedience and our submission. And it's his purpose and his glory upon which we should bring alignment with everything we are as a purpose. We exist to honor our king. We are citizens of heaven living temporarily here on earth and we live to honor him and him alone. So are you in? Would you say at this point in your life, when you wake up in the morning and take your first breath, you bow in allegiance to King Jesus or do you live for the one looking back at you from the mirror? Is your life all about you or is it about the king who came and who rules and reigns for all eternity? Now here is what is awesome about our king. He did not come to seek power. He did not come to seek riches or fame. He's different than the earthly kings. He did not come to, to rule under the idea that his kingdom exists to perpetuate his own pleasure. No, this, this king is different. He actually came on a mission to seek and to rescue those who were lost, those who were far from God. The scriptures say that he did not come to be served. That's what most kings would expect. But he actually came to serve. The eternal king would come to earth, clothe himself in humanity, and go and die on the cross to save sinners like you and like me. It's mind-boggling that the eternal king, the promised son of David, would come to give mercy. I was reading through the Gospel of Matthew at the start of this year, and I kept coming across this line, this phrase, and people would come to Jesus and they would bow before him and they would say, son of David, have mercy on me. They understood that this king could bring them restoration and healing and reconciliation and a second chance at living a life that had meaning. So what should we do with it? Well, I thought we would take those two thoughts and merge them today. That we would declare our allegiance to the king and we would remember that he's the agent of mercy for our souls. And we're gonna do that by taking communion together. So would you begin to prepare your heart? The elements will come, they're double cups. Hold them and we'll take them together. Would you pray with me?
The Lord Jesus, Son of David, we come to this moment and we bow before you and acknowledge you as the eternal king who rules and reigns forever. And at the same time, we acknowledge you as the one who would extend grace and mercy to your people. And that you would go to the cross on our behalf. Lord, it's hard to put those two ideas together. And I pray as we contemplate in this moment that you would bring us to a point of devotion. It's in the name of Jesus, the King, the Son of David, that we pray. Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. My soul is broken and my eyes can't see. Can you hear me calling, calling out your name? Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. The winds are coming, and I can hardly breathe. My heart is heavy, I can't get no sleep. Oh, Son of David, have mercy on me. Mercy on me. Oh Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on me. Oh Lord, have mercy. Cause I need you, oh I need you, every hour I need you, you're my one. Defense and your righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my Without you, I find.
eternal king took on flesh and he came and lived among us and his body was broken for us and he said never forget that take eat remember and on the night he was betrayed Jesus took a cup and said this is the new covenant the covenant in my blood offered for the forgiveness of sins for all mankind. Take, drink, remember.
fellowship family it's always a pleasure worshiping with you being lifted up built up alongside of you in Christ Jesus and so um, one announcement prayer room to my left your right 
just down the hall and to the right. The Sloans are in the prayer room this morning. So if you want to pray with somebody, if you need prayer, take advantage of that. If not, y'all be safe as you go, and we'll see you next week. Bye, fellowship.